her often, you pass her daily, but her scars are away from your eyes. She fought fiercely to break away, her mind needed to be free, her body needed to heal. Many wear their scars on the inside, hidden behind guilt and shame. She wears abuse on her back, marred by the evil remarks of her lover, stained from his constant attacks. He builds her up, only to bash her self-esteem down. To keep her there in his pit that surrounds her every emotion, feeling, touch, and being. He operates violently to the highest extreme, saying no, it's not an option, only yes, yes, I'll do whatever you say. She cries rivers on the inside as she gives in desperately. He replenishes his strength off of her tears. You are listening to MFF Project Podcast, Identity of a Woman. Hosted by Chantel Branch. The Identity of a Woman podcast is for every woman who has yet to discover, or who has discovered, or who is looking to discover, or who has found her purpose and her identity, what it means, what it looks like, who she is, who we are, how we build, how we lead, how we guide, and how we help. Identity of a Woman. One push, two slaps, and down she goes. Underneath his feet, he tramples her integrity. Underneath his feet, he tramples her character. Underneath his feet, he tramples her courage. Smiling in anger, no loved ones around to witness the danger. No longer a stranger to domestic abuse, it becomes her familiar reality. Often ending in fatality, abandoning her children because she became a casualty. He declares victory because she is lost, she is broken, she is bruised, she is used. Scars, you can't always see them. They remain stamped permanently to her soul. But the next time you look at her, do not be afraid. No, 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 please don't turn away. Scars are the remnant after the pain. But she lives, she survives. She broke free. She is me. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to Smashing Thursdays. I am Chantel Branch, your domestic violence specialist, educating individuals on why their decision to remain silent keeps them locked in abuse. Today's show. As always, we have awesome shows. We have awesome guests. And listen, with everything that's been going on around this world, and especially right here in Chicago, and you know, I know what they, I know y'all talk about us, but listen, we are trying to help our communities. We are trying to impact our communities, and we want to make them better so that our young children, our young boys, our young girls, Our families are no longer the target, you know, and we are doing what we can. And with everything that has just been happening with especially the young children around the world, the United States, especially being targeted by police and just other entities, factors in the community, it has been heart-wrenching. It has been heartbreaking. 
But one thing that we do on this platform is that we inspire others. So listen, we're going to dive in deep today. We're going to dive in deep to mental illness, behavioral health. We're going to talk about the things that are plaguing underserved communities around the United States of America. So if this is you and you live in an underserved community or you grew up in a community that is now an underserved community or was an underserved community, you need to tune in. Help us become a resource. If you have resources, share your resources. Contact me, www.mffproject.com. Hey, let me pop it up on the screen for you so you won't forget. www.mffproject.com. Share your resources so that we can make an impact to the people in our lives. So listen, I went and I got some help, right? And that saying, we've heard it, it is the word, it is the sword of the spirit, and it says faith without works is dead, right? So if we don't, we can have all the faith in the world to move mountains, we can have faith that our communities are going to change, we can pray about it every single day. But if we get up every weekend and if we get up on our off days and we are not able to be a resource, to be a helping hand, to put in some time, to volunteer, to read, to do the work and labor in our communities, then what good is it to, for us to complain? What good is it for us to continue to, to speak but, no, but do no work? So I have a wonderful guest, Ms. Rosalind. Bates, and I'm going to bring her up so that we can dive in deep into having these conversations. Hey, Rosalind, how are you? Doing well, thank you. Thank you so much, Chantel, for inviting me for this great podcast. Congratulations to you. Again, to help us make an impact in our, in our communities. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So tell us what, what you do and how you can help us make an impact in our communities. Well, or what I, we can begin to do to begin to make an impact in our communities. Sure. It's just as you said, uh, getting better, taking a look at ourselves and ways that we can grow and um, enhance our lives. It starts within, it really does. It starts from the inside out. Um, I have been in, in the, the field of mental health for uh, about 17 years now, and I've seen a lot uh, in my career starting out. Um, I've branched out to different populations, and I've seen uh, a lot of growth, a lot of healing, and I want to continue to offer hope to people as a mental health professional. Um, I think that it, the time that we spend um, investing in ourselves is very valuable. And for our communities, we can only get better when we grow as individuals because uh, that individual growth affects our, our families, it affects our churches, it affects our workplaces and ultimately um, our world. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm gonna jump right in. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> so that we can <laughs> okay, awesome. So 
What is behavioral health and how has it affected the underserved populations, especially, you know, for instance, I live in Chicago, you know, how has it affected the underserved populations and what is it, you know, help us understand sure. um, in terms that we can understand, because a lot of times they're throwing out these health, pro these professional health terms and we're like, okay, uh -huh. and then we just let it roll over our heads, but really they are, um, things that are impacting our youth, they're impacting our families, they're impacting our communities, and we have no idea what it is. Sure. Well, the definition of behavioral health has evolved over time. And it more recently, behavioral health has incorporated mental health. And so what I like to do is look at behavioral health in terms of holistic Sometimes we compartmentalize, we separate different parts of our lives, but behavioral health really uh, includes a variety of different aspects of our lives. It includes attention to the way our bodies function, also how our minds work, the things we think about, even thinking about what we think about, and also our spirits, our souls. So it includes all of those different dimensions of who we are. And it affects different generations as well. Um, we uh, sometimes people limit behavioral health to adults, but also it includes children and young people as well. So that just gets us thinking about the ways that behavioral health impacts us. It impacts different parts of our lives, different parts of our humanity. So um, I just want to present a definition that is encompassing, something that uh, is complete and attentive to all parts of who we are. That's good. That's good. So, my next question is, yeah, and I hope I hope we, I hope you guys are following along because we want want to be able to to paint a picture, but help us understand the terms and 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 why we. Um, are affected. So knowing that behavioral health doesn't just affect, I mean, um, it's not just for adults. It's not something that we just apply to adults. And like she, like um, Rosalind has said, it has evolved over time, right? So what is the difference between behavioral health and mental health? Because that is just the term that has just been thrown around and tossed around. And now um, everybody, everybody has mental illness. Everybody um, has anxiety, depression, and PTSD. So how do we differentiate between the two? And um, if you have depression or PTSD, is that considered having a mental illness? PTSD is uh, a it's a diagnosis. Um, and it affects uh, quite a few different dimensions of, of who we are. Um, PTSD, of course, is post-traumatic stress disorder. And not only that does that affect uh, people who are veterans, it affects people who have experienced any type of trauma. For example, uh, people who survived Hurricane Katrina can relate to symptoms of PTSD. Anyone who has endured some type of natural disaster, it could be hurricane, it could be a fire, that occurred in a house um, or actually gun violence. That's something that has ravaged our communities. And uh, 
in some ways that has become normalized, unfortunately for us. We as a community have somehow adapted in, in some constructive ways uh, for survival purposes, but um, that is a diagnosis that impacts a lot of different people, particularly the African-American community. Lately in Chicago, our, um, our uh, Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters have endured that through the recent uh, shooting of a, a young man. Um, our can, Asian you can you repeat that? I think you went out, you were, can okay. you repeat that? Okay. Yes, more recently, our, our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters, our uh, Hispanic and Latino communities have been impacted uh, by the gun violence as um, that has occurred due to uh, because of a loss of a young man, a young teenager. And so PTSD is real. It, it has come close up close and personal to us in the form of community violence. And that is something that uh, we, we need to pay attention to and we need to uh, address and heal. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, so at, at, it, it's when you said that we have normalized the gun violence, you know, especially being here in Chicago, it is so true. And that, but that's a, a part of trauma. That's a part of PTSD. That's a part of, I mean, um, and literally, you know, living in Chicago, growing up on the west side of Chicago, it, it was good, you know, as a younger child, but as I became an adult and, and a teenager, you know, the neighborhood had changed. Mm -hmm. And now to the point that you know what neighborhoods you should be driving into at night and mm -hmm. some that you know you should always avoid, go all the way around. And um, it's, you know, I, I didn't think of it until you said it, that we normalized it. And I have, I have normalized it because I remember living on a busy street and it was near the police station. And for me, always hearing the sirens and the ambulance all the time, especially Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, that was so normal to me that when I moved into a quiet, neighbor, a quiet neighborhood, I, it took me kind of some years to realize, oh my God. Like, what do I do with myself? <laughs> and I mean, it wasn't until I went back to visit and I was like, oh, I'm not used to that sound anymore because right. it, it didn't resonate with me anymore. But when you are in that environment, it resonates with you. You begin to normalize it and it becomes your everyday normal. Right. You get used to the sounds. You get used to the rhythm or the bustle or the buzz. Yes. Uh, people, the mannerisms, the mentality. You start to embrace and absorb that in ways you don't even realize. Absolutely. So when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to anxiety and depression, it impacts the dating life for children, right? It impacts the dating life for adults mm -hmm. and it comes from experiencing it comes from experiencing some type of trauma early on in life how does one move from when you experience a type of trauma in your early life to now you're an adult you have experience you know you have that 
that anxiety or that depression? How do you identify that what happened in my childhood is now affecting me in my adulthood? Right. Some of that comes with new exposure, new experiences. Um, one thing that comes to mind as you're talking about that is the fact that we are wired in certain directions. We've learned, we become conditioned to um, our experiences, to our surroundings, the ways of thinking, as I mentioned, the ways of doing habits. And then when we become adults, people who are in treatment or enter treatment as adults, often their challenge is relearning, exploring what it is they actually learned and the messages that were sent to them that communicated certain things about them and about their value, about people in general, about the world around them. So part of addressing that anxiety is opening yourself up to new experiences, new exposure, and a different message that you have learned, you have come to embrace. And so that can take some time, uh, but it, it's worth it uh, for the peace that comes on the other side of that work, that effort, and that exploration, yes. So what kind of resources are available for people who have experienced or who are suffering um, with anxiety and depression and PTSD in underserved communities? How can they find help? Sure, many community agencies will, um, there's a lot of uh, agencies who, that address uh, trauma, PTSD. There's some community counseling agencies that um, specifically address trauma and related um, related conditions. And so one, one place that I've often uh, suggested to people is to look into their the local hospital first. Uh, that, that's a place that people often go. Um, they may be able to uh, present you with some referral options through the emergency room, for example. Uh, social workers are often positioned there to be a resource um, to direct people to other agencies that are in their communities. Okay, that that's really good. So when it comes to the disparity in access for care, how do we as leaders in our community help the people in our community? Yes, that's an ongoing challenge um, that we have as leaders in, in engaging people and pointing them in healing directions. That's, that's key. Um, one of the things that we're mindful of as leaders is people's hesitations to access care. Uh, often uh, people will go to their clergy uh, person, their pastor, their church to look for care spiritually. Um, what happens is they often don't recognize that the care may begin there, but it doesn't end there. And that there are resources in the community that can continue the work that may start on a spiritual level or in a spiritual context. Um, leaders can direct people to those community resources. Um, lately, 
there's been an emerging of, of counselors uh, and counseling services no longer has the same stigma as it used to pre-pandemic. So there are counselors of color who are becoming more visible to help reduce some of the anxieties of getting involved in services. So I would encourage leaders to uh, remember that and take advantage of the reality that services are more accessible to communities of color now. The stigma is not as heavy as it used to be because now it's more welcoming to receive services. And as uh, the spiritual community has started to embrace the reality that services are valuable. These kinds of services uh, can go a long way. They have, they have value, uh, they can enhance the quality of life for people and they they can do some really good work. I heard you mention that about people of color. Yes. How important is it for people who are suffering with a with mental illness or have issues with their mental health to talk to someone of color, someone who looks like them, who comes from a culture and or has an ethnicity similar to theirs. Mm -hmm. That immensely is immensely important. Um, as a person who has access services myself, I recall how meaningful it was for me to receive counseling from a person who looked like me, who understood my culture, my um, my racial background, um, my same my same gender. I I was it was woman to woman, so it was really really important to me to be able to have that instant trust um, to build on so that I could grow. And I know that is a huge barrier for many people. Um, that has that barrier has kept a lot of people out of services. Um, there is Absolutely. a viable suspicion about institutions um, and our communities of color having a problem with uh, engaging uh, institutions because often those institutions have served to help uh, to hurt us or to lock us out. So as a clinician of color, it's really important to me to be visible and to do what I can to advocate, actually inside of the philosophy of social workers and counselors is cultural advocacy. So we are here to advocate for services for people of color, for people who are marginalized, who may not have the same privilege or access to care as the mainstream. That's part of our commitment as counselors and social workers. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So I want to switch gears a little bit. It's like when we are in communities and we don't have the resource, we don't have the help, we turn to the church. But what I have found is that the church doesn't always have the answers 
Could you repeat How that? do we navigate? I would say what I found is that when we don't have the resources in our communities, we turn to the church. And so I say, yes, pastor, I prayed about it. I turned it over to the Lord, but now what? Yeah. I have faith. I believe that I'm going to be healed. I believe that um, the, 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 the people in my community will be healed. I, I believe, you know, and, and so we've done all of that. Then what? Like how I, I found that, you know, the churches don't always have the resource to help the people as it relates to mental illness or behavioral health. Yes, I, I really understand where you're coming from with that, Chantel. Um, as I was saying, the, the healing may begin in a spiritual context through the pastor, uh, but it doesn't have to end there. Uh, one of my commitments as a clinician and as a woman of faith as well um, is to help, help that process get smoother where people understand that their, their spiritual care uh, extends also to their natural lives outside of church and that they can begin to apply their faith um, toward their healing. And so one of my tension points I, should, I could say is um, having, have, knowing that spiritual communities often don't know about their community resources. Sometimes pastors may not have the, the training of a clinician. Um, they may be limited in their understanding of how to direct people to resources that could help continue the healing that a person may have experienced at church, the deliverance so to speak. So I wanted to help that process. And uh, I did uh, transition to seminary education with that in mind. And I am committed to helping spiritual communities uh, redirect people so that the healing can continue in, in practical ways through clinical services. So are you saying that you are one something that you're doing is going into or inviting church leaders out to get the training that they need to go back to the church for their members? Or are you going into their churches and talking directly to their members? How what does that look like um, from your your aspect? Sure. Um, one of the things that I enjoy doing is helping equip spiritual leaders so that they understand that there is a connection between the spiritual care that they're providing as pastors or clergy members, and then uh, the, the clinical work that counselors and social workers and psychologists or psychiatrists are doing. There, it's, it is a continuum, it's a timeline, if you would. And so people do want spiritual care and spiritual care is a good place to start. But again, the work continues, the healing continues throughout our lives. And so I enjoy helping um, ministers and clergy members understand that they're not alone in the work that they do to their, their uh, church members. 
they can uh, be empowered uh, through understanding that the work can continue, that we can continue caring for people's souls and enhancing the quality of life through clinical services. Mm -hmm. Okay, that is really, really good. And are you looking for people to come onto your team to 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 make it you know bigger and grow? We 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 got a lot of churches to to cover, right? Well, one of the things lately that I've been doing is uh, inviting clergy members, ministers, elders, pastors to conversations that talk about topics that relate to pastoral care and mental health, and just uh, giving them some tools, some strategies, some things to think about um, as they're providing care to their church members, things that will um, enhance them and help them to get better at leadership and be attentive to the needs of, of, of people in, the, in their churches. So I, um, I enjoyed that. I think that I have a, a couple of different lenses uh, as a woman of faith, I can offer some perspective to um, to pastors and, and clergy members. And then, you know, on the clinical side, I, I see a lot um, of people of faith who are um, wanting their healing. They're pursuing their healing through counseling services, which is great. I understand that journey very well as someone who has has walked through that. Mm -hmm. that that's good that's good that's really really good so um pastors or church leaders <laughs> when your sheep turn to you for the help if we cannot help them we ought to have the resources in our churches whether it's a pamphlet whether it's a person whether it's a group we have to provide the sheep with the nourishment that is necessary for them to continue on with the flock. Right. I hope that makes sense. I hope the pastors understand that. <laughs> yeah, it's crucial. It's crucial. And yeah, uh, I, I like to see churches who have referral sources ready, ready to offer their congregations. And then just mentioning Mentioning counseling from the pulpit is one way to really uh, reduce the fear of, of pursuing services. Some people are, are very sensitive about that. They may feel some shame about going to counseling because of the perception that they may experience from other people. But when the pastor says it or a minister says it from the pulpit, that instantly uh, gives people relief and and they can say to themselves, oh, well, it's not so bad or it's not so scary or I'm, I'm still okay. It's okay that I can pursue counseling or go to counseling and get some help and and still be a human being and, and not be made fun of or mocked or scorned. That is one of the most healing things we can do is not stigmatize and not label or make fun of people who are involved in counseling services. Absolutely. And I like the fact that you said that they can do it from the pulpit. If we can, you know, normalize hearing gunshots, normalize 
um, you know, li living in a community where we had a police siren and ambulance all day long, if we can normalize those things, how come we can't normalize talking about counseling from the pulpit? It's right. nourishment for our sheep. And the best part about it is they're already in community, right? Mm -hmm. So it will actually be easier for the pastor to bring in someone outside of the uh, church if they don't have clinicians and you know um, different people already in the church bring people from outside of the church into the church because you already have the base you already have a community you're just missing the resource bring that resource in to educate your flock to educate the people in in the church and mm -hmm. especially if if you know the churches are for the community right and so if you are impacting and infecting that community with Christ and with hope and with faith, then give them the resource and the hope and knowing that because of their faith, right? you know, um, in Christ, that a resource, a tool has been provided for them. And now it's up to them to do the work. That resource, I, I put the resource in front of you. There we, we're starting, um, we're starting a community group and we're going to address mental health health uh, or mental illness quarterly that's four times a year that's what mm -hmm. that gives you that gives you plenty of time to bring in different clinicians if that clinician didn't work well with your with your community your flock okay we won't use that individual anymore it gives you other opportunities to bring in more people and it also opens up the group of members that are there to begin to share they're sharing with one another oh i didn't know you were going to be at this group and it starts the conversation and that is why we're here that is why rosalind bates is here that's why she created her you know her production that's why she went into ministry and that is why she is on the forefront of trying to bridge the gap between the pastoral care and the mental health aspect bringing it together and teaching pastors, hey, normalize it from the pulpit. Right. It really helps. It goes a long way. Um, and as you mentioned, the programming is key. People really grab on to things like that. And they figure if the, if the pastor is endorsing it, then it's all right. It, it's okay. It really it's gold. is. Right. They, they say, oh, wow. Okay. Well, I guess it is okay to have both Jesus and a therapist. And actually, Jesus did a lot. It's okay. Yeah, he did a lot of counseling. He did a lot of one-to-one. -one. He did some group group work as well. And he was an advocate for our total healing. And so uh, to shut parts of our lives off and say, well, uh, you know, that that doesn't belong in, in uh, my healing process. No, we are to be healed and whole. So that is what what God wants for us. And um, for some, it takes a while for them for them to wrap their minds around. God wants me healed totally. So, um, yeah, going to counseling and Jesus is a good combination. I like that. I had to go ahead and make it a banner. It's OK to have Jesus and go to counseling. And I have a shirt for that. <laughs> uh that's awesome. 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 She has a t-shirt. I need, I need the shirt. I'm going to wear the shirt. I'm going to wear it every Saturday. If I still work at the salon. 
I'm telling you, if I still worked at the salon, I will wear that joker every Saturday. It's okay to have Jesus and go to counseling. It's okay. It's a beautiful thing. A lot of healing. It's it's a lot of work too. It, it takes some effort, but you know, I've I've compared clinical work and the healing process um, in two analogies. Uh, it's surgery. Surgery is one analogy I use, and surgery sometimes means uh, submitting to the process of being cut. <laughs> And so surgery, yes. sometimes it's a very vulnerable uh, process, but on the other side is the healing. And that's what people can pursue. Yes. The other analogy I use is glacier. Sometimes the process is long and it moves very, very slowly, but the impact of it is a lasting impact. And so I've embraced those two analogies yeah. to describe uh, the work of counseling and the healing that it offers. Absolutely. So what can a family do if, if the person has been, you know, we know that they're they they're having they're having issues, you know, uh, maybe bipolar or schizophrenia or or or, or you know, um, or they're they they're uh, let me see they are demonstrating or exhibiting behaviors of some type of illness and we would like for them to go to counseling or we would like for them to get, go to the doctor and get diagnosed but we having a hard time because they're an adult and they're rebellious How, what can we do as the family yes i've i've heard a lot of family members um, ask me that same question what do we do? This person, we're encouraging this person to go to seek help, to uh, get on a medication schedule, to be consistent with um, their mental health. Um, families can continue that, but they can also go for themselves. The reason being is one person going impacts the entire system. And even if that person isn't the one with the identifiable mental health condition, going to counseling can help empower that person to learn what to do, how to set appropriate limits and boundaries. They can also influence their other family members when it comes to a family intervention, if that's necessary. And the reason this is important is because that one person who has the condition um, may be calling everybody or one person, but it the, the patterns of behavior are affecting everyone. And it includes, that includes everybody's resources too. That person may be calling on one person's resources. And then when that person's resources are drained, they'll move on to the next person and the next person and the next person. So there's, there's a gradual uh, impact uh, that is pervasive. It affects everybody, it affects the entire system. And so that's why it's important for families to get information, to get educated about mental health so that they can be strong, they can be a unified, uh, a unified force in supporting the health and the recovery of that one individual. 
Absolutely. I, I like to use my favorite word. I always talk about it. Boundaries, boundaries, yes. boundaries, <laughs> boundaries. For me, I didn't know I needed boundaries till I needed boundaries. And it was so late that I am still, as I'm, I'm walking through life, I'm still setting boundaries for stuff I should have set boundaries for years ago. But at this point of, the, of my life, I'm like, no, not happening. Hard no. Hard no. Don't need. Are you talking to me? You asking me? No. What? <laughs> yeah, those are learned over time. And as as we grow, our needs change. And so our, our boundaries probably change with that. Mm -hmm. Yes, maturity. Maturity. Yeah. So how does... How, when a person joins a support group, how impactful or how important or valuable is it to that individual? Mm -hmm. I think that it's really an empowering experience. Um, and it kind of breaks them out of isolation. Because mm, that's good. Before they go into that kind of uh, context, a group context, they're feeling alone. They're feeling um, off to the side, like they're the only one who's experiencing these thoughts or uh, these mannerisms or tendencies or behaviors. And they start to see that there are other people with similar struggles. And it's that's a really liberating kind of uh, experience to know that um, you're not the only one. And that's a big part of the strength of recovery groups and community groups. And they can build on that, that momentum and that energy um, that breaks, that has broken them out of isolation. Um, and they can start to connect and compare testimonies. They understand, they can begin to understand their own strengths um, that help them uh, advance and they, their eyes become open to to new experiences, yeah. new ways of thinking and doing. And this, they can say, oh, okay, well, I tried this in my life. And, uh, and they'll see where other people have tried other things in their lives and they can draw from that as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I remember when I, had to go to group counseling for, um, and I was living in a shelter at the time, and it was a domestic violence shelter. And I remember it was mandatory. You had to go to counseling when I want, you had to go to group counseling. So for group counseling, one of the things I just wanted to share was, I never said anything. I didn't, if I had to say my name, I would say my name, <laughs> but they didn't, I never said anything. But there were other people in that group who put everything on the table. They told what he did, what he didn't do, where he lived at. I mean, they told it all and what and what that person did to them, how they abused them. And for me, I didn't say anything all those months that I was there, but I heard them. Right. And I realized, and it was within the first two sessions because I remember I was meeting every Tuesday and I was like oh my god 
all their stories are like mine. And it was like the person that we was like, we were all dating the same person because they all had characteristics of an abuser. Mm-hmm. And we all, and, and, and the red flags and the signs, and that's where I learned about red flags. And that's where I learned about signs. And I realized that I missed something in the dating process, in the courting process. But the best part about that group counseling was I was not alone. I sat around the table with different women from all different walks of life. We were all different colors and I was not alone. It was a group. It was a community. We had domestic violence, unfortunately, in common, but we were in a safe house, in a safe place, sitting around that table and we were able to share and be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And when you can get into, and I remember you saying earlier, um, removing, removing yourself from that environment. And when you can get into an environment and an atmosphere of healing, a place that is intentionally set for your healing, I promise you that if you have faith, <laughs> and you do the work and and, and for me at that point the, and and it's not always you thinking that it's going to always be a physical work for me it was a mind work yeah and I just had to believe I had the faith and I believed that I could be healed and when I heard their stories I was determined that I was going to be healed that when right. I get out of this place I'm not going back I'm not going back and I will not be in another relationship with anybody who are, who are, who are, who is going to abuse me physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, verbally. I will not accept it. And I knew that in my mind and then year, and it took years and years of continuing to say those words and believe in myself and find value and my worth in myself to you know now i'm at a place where i wish you would (laughs) don't don't bring that over here you know you can't come over here you know don't 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 bring that over and so to now i even see it when i i can just look at a couple and hear they're talking and already and and just see the way they interact and i'm like "Mm, yeah mm, mm, something's going on there I'm glad you said that because that is key. Um, One of the things that I have embraced about the counseling process is that it's restorative in the sense that it gives people a sense of value. You're restoring your value in counseling. It's not all about what's wrong with you and addressing the issues and problems and challenges. You find out what's right with you and you build it. And yes. so you walk away with some tools, some determination, as you mentioned, some mm-hmm. grit, some uh, some focus. You walk out with some goals, and you yes. you move on that. You move forward. It pushes you forward for more, and you have an you have an appetite and a desire for more. It's changed your your appetite for uh, help. You, you start to realize, yes. hey, I deserve to be whole. I deserve to be healthy. I deserve peace of mind. And a lot of people have scripts uh, running through their head about what they don't deserve. And that locks them out. Yes. Keeps them away yes. from counseling. Not realizing that it's not all about 
what's wrong with you and your issue. It's about helping you heal, helping you be whole, helping you see what strengths you have, what's in your toolkit, yes. what's in your toolbox that can propel you forward. Yes. I like that you said what's in your toolbox and what's in your kit because it's already in you, right? right. But because you experienced that trauma and the trauma was so big, you forgot and you lived and you stayed right there in that trauma and you never fell forward, you never moved forward and nobody came behind you to push you forward. And if you think of counseling, think of it as you know counseling, they're nudging you forward. And then they're also opening your eyes to see something about yourself that you didn't see before. Right. Yeah. And we want you to see your strengths. We want you to see the best part of you because mm -hmm. maybe you grew up and, you're, and you had a parent that said, you, you're not going to be nothing. You're never going to be nothing. And, you, and you're just nothing. And so when you get to counseling and, you, and you've come through that, but you stayed there and you kept it on you, in counseling, getting you to see your strength, getting you to see your value and your worth. Every time you go to counseling, you're going to take some of that off of you. You're going to take mm -hmm. that negativity off of you. You're going to take those labels and those tags off of you. And they will no longer be attached to you. You're going to mm -hmm. leave them right there. And every time you go back to counseling, you're taking another layer off. And right. you are opening up your eyes and your ear gates to see and hear something new about yourself. And you're leaving that stuff right there on the floor in the counselor's office. Because trust me, the counselor is just going to sweep it up and take it out with the trash they're not going to put it on and go home with your trauma and go home with your burdens because they've been trained hello trained and educated to not take that home because it's too heavy for them to carry you right. carried it for 20 30 and 40 and 50 years put that stuff down honey mm -hmm. so that yep. you can see your value and you can see your worth and so that you can move forward and the, the counselor they just want to nudge you for just a little bit just a little bit, a little bit at a time. We can't unpack your whole life in 60 minutes. I'm sorry. It's going right. to take a, it's going to take some time. <laughs> yeah. It is a process. And as, as you were talking, it's a process. Absolutely. What came to mind is altars. Sometimes we, we, we talk about that in church, put it on the altar. Well, counseling session mm -hmm. by session is an altar where you're emptying yourself. You're uh, laying your burdens down but it happens in process. It's not as instant yeah. as what we understand to be putting it on the altar. And that's why staying in counseling is so important because as you're saying, it come the burdens come off layer by layer by layer, session by session by session, day by day by day, revelation by revelation by revelation. And so um, Absolutely. this picture we see where um, lepers, uh, who interacted with Jesus were healed as they went. It was a progression. It was step by step. It wasn't in 30 seconds or less. And so often we associate the, the miracle with something that's instantaneous. Well, sometimes miracles can be unfolding. And that's kind of what counseling is. It's miracle unfolding. Mm, I like that. That's a good way to look at it, everybody. A mirror <laughs> counseling is a miracle unfolding. Yes. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And we can normalize it, pastors, from the book. Yes. 
<laughs> um, we just begin to break some of those chains, those yokes, those shackles. We can begin to change the community one person at a time, one sheep at a time, one shepherd at a time. One family. And that, yeah, one family at a time. That tra that transforms communities. Right. That yeah. transforms communities, and that is what we want to do. And so we guys, we need you guys to join the conversation. So, Pastor Rosalind, um, tell us how we can find you. <laughs> yes, I am. Co I'm founder of Ros Garden Productions LLC, which is an organization. Right now, we're working on webinars that discuss topics that blend pastoral care and mental health, or more more accurately that intersect topics that relate to pastoral care and mental health. Um, so you can find us on um, at my website. You can get some more information about that. And then also we host webinars and the registration lately has been through eventbrite.com. So look out for us. Hope you can join us at some point. It's a place where you can get empowered, get great information and resources that will help equip you in your pastoral care tasks. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So that brings us to the close of our show. But right before we go, I have the <laughs> spill your gut segment. So I would like to know what was your favorite food to eat during the 2020 pandemic? Oh, I'm a pasta lover. And actually, I love chocolate. I'm a chocoholic, so I, I got to give it. I love cheap mm -hmm. chocolate, expensive chocolate. It could be Snick Snickers or GR Delis, whatever is uh, chocolate. Milk chocolate and dark chocolate are my favorites. So that's my guts. <laughs> I, that's okay, good. I did have a, I think it was around Christmas, those GR Delis. Um, they came in a little plastic, no, they came in like an assorted, uh, nice little box baggy looking container. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I like these little squares. Mm -hmm. I, I was I was loving them. Yeah, loving they're crazy. <laughs> loving them. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope that our words were able to resonate with the audience and that you know, they can reach out to you again at Rise Gardens Production, risegardenproductions.com. And I just hope that this is the start of the conversations that need to be had in our homes, in our schools, at our jobs, in our communities, and especially in our churches. Yes. Thank you so much, Chantel, for having me on as a guest. I appreciate the work that you're doing. Keep it up and go with God. Absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much. All right, guys, that is our time for today. Thank you for another show. And I told you we were going to go in deep about mental health, behavioral health, breaking down the differences. So if you are watching the replay, thank you so much for watching the replay. I hope that you were able to understand. And if you have some questions, drop them, you know, drop all your questions in the comments. And hopefully we can create another show and dive even deeper into some of the specific areas and, and, and being able to hone it out, explain it in a way that we all can understand it, and then 
being able to take the tools, the tips that we get and apply it to our lives or help someone else out that we know that are struggling in those particular areas. So again, thank you guys so much. I hope you have enjoyed the show and I'll see you again next Saturday, not Saturday, don't come on Saturday. I won't be here. Next Thursday at 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern, right here at MFF Project on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube and you can also get the audio podcast right at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Check us out on Anchor and you'll find us. We're everywhere. You guys have a great night and I'll see you again next week. Bye. You see her often, you pass her daily, but her scars are away from your eyes. She fought fiercely to break away, her mind needed to be free, her body needed to heal. Many wear their scars on the inside, hidden behind guilt and shame. She wears abuse on her back, marred by the evil remarks of her lover, stained from his constant attacks. He builds her up, only to bash her self-esteem down. To keep her there in his pit that surrounds her every emotion, feeling, touch, and being. He operates violently to the highest extreme, saying no, it's not an option, only yes, yes, I'll do whatever you say. She cries rivers on the inside as she gives in desperately. He replenishes his strength off of her tears. You are listening to MFF Project Podcast, Identity of a Woman. Hosted by Chantel Branch. The Identity of a Woman podcast is for every woman who has yet to discover, or who has discovered, or who is looking to discover, or who has found her purpose and her identity. What it means, what it looks like, who she is, who we are, how we build, how we lead, how we guide, and how we help. Identity of a Woman. One push, two slaps, and down she goes. Underneath his feet, he tramples her integrity. Underneath his feet, he tramples her character. Underneath his feet, he tramples her courage. Smiling in anger, no loved ones around to witness the danger. No longer a stranger to domestic abuse, it becomes her familiar reality. Often ending in fatality, abandoning her children because she became a casualty. He declares victory because she is lost. She is broken. She is bruised. She is used. Scars. You can't always see them. They remain stamped permanently to her soul. But the next time you look at her, do not be afraid. No, no, no. Please don't turn away. Scars are the remnant after the pain. But she lives. She survives. She broke 